In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever to the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you very much, uh, Your Grace. I guess uh, just before we give you a formal introduction, as we all know, we just a bit of an introduction on the series of talks that we had. Today we have another opportunity uh, to reconnect and interact with each other and also reconnect and interact with our brothers and sisters from other states, including particularly Adelaide. Uh, as we've heard, the theme of the series in which these talks are largely linked to is taken from Psalm 59, verse 10. Oh God, you are my protector. Your mercy shall go before me. Uh, we are very blessed to have these short talks presented by the hierarchs and clergy of our archdiocese. As you would note, previously we had the blessing of his grace, Bishop Elpidio, speak to us, and Yerundev Sevio, and just last week, Father Anastasi Bozikas. Importantly, there are also a series of seminars for specific groups, including your mother teachers, Sunday school teachers, our Byzantine music school, couples and parents, and a special couples talk for those with young children. Uh, just by way of admin for this call, uh, a couple of Zoom instructions. Uh, please keep your microphones for the entirety of this talk on mute to allow us to uh, uh, get the full uh, participation and not with limited interruptions. It will also be nice at the end of this talk uh, if we can turn on our cameras and greet each other. I just wanted to emphasize particularly for today that we have the great honor and blessing to be accompanied by many of our brothers and sisters from Adelaide, as we said earlier. On this, I wanted to call upon Mr. Steve Macris to speak to us about a very historic and momentous event that took place in Adelaide last week with their first ever annual Sunday school camp. Many of you may have seen some footage or read the summary online. However, it would be remiss of us not to now welcome Mr. Steve Macris to the virtual microphone as our Hugo at the camp to give us a quick summary of the various highlights and blessings from that camp. Please also note he's currently in and around the Enosis of Adelaide, so we may be privileged to also some, see some familiar faces once his screen is spotlighted. So give a younger if you can maybe spotlight uh, the group there. Mr. Steve Macris and the group, we welcome you. Thank you, thank you, uh, Phil Funny, and thank you, uh, Phil Funny, for letting me uh, annoy you over the last few weeks. Uh, we needed some assistance, and you were more than willing, so uh, much appreciated. Uh, I did just jot down some key highlights. Um, the week before last, History was made in Adelaide. Uh, we facilitated our first Sunday school camp with 55 children aged between 9 and 13 years old. And we had about uh, 25 volunteers. Our theme was the whole armour of God, where the children learned how to apply the spiritual lessons to their everyday lives. It was an overwhelming success. With all the children from different parishes bonding really well, while also gaining a stronger appreciation for our Christian Orthodox faith. There were many exciting activities like flying fox and giant swings, some other activities that helped them work together 
like initiative pursuits and mini Olympics. And we also had a quiz. We had two guest speakers, Father Jeremy Krieg and Father John Psalios, who gave engaging and inspiring talks on the whole armor of God. The Divine Liturgy was celebrated on the last day with His Grace Bishop Silawan and all the children participated in Holy Communion. We then all traveled back to St. Icarius Parish where the children had lunch, then presented their plays and sang songs in the presence of His Grace and the Reverend Fathers. This would not have been possible without the hard work and commitment from all our volunteers, and there were many. And we would also like to say uh, many thanks to Kirill Maki and to Theofani Magnus for assisting us with the theme and helping us leverage from the spiritual material used in, in previous Sydney camps. So the feedback received from the children and the parents has been amazing. And God willing, this will be the first of many Sunday school camps in Adelaide. Thank you very much for that recap. And yeah, it was great uh, from our perspective to see the photos and to read the summary and to hear everything that we heard last week and to hear that it was such a success. Um, it brings us a lot of happiness to hear. And maybe next year we can um, come and join you at your camp like you've joined us in the past at our camps. Um, I think it... I think uh, now uh, it's time for, uh, as is custom, our virtual choirs, which is performed by our Tritokikolo men and women. And I think I'll hand over to Kiro Yangwa to share the uh, screen now for the virtual choirs. We'll be hearing some hymns and songs. Thank 
Thank you very much for, for that, Peter Yango. And uh, the songs are very, very beautiful. And it's, it's very lovely to hear these hymns and songs. And I guess uh, I'm sure he'll be very annoyed at me, but a lot of thanks has to go to Peter Yango for his tireless efforts behind the scenes to put together uh, these hymns. It's not a very easy thing to merge 40 uh, different voices. So thank you also, Peter Yango, for your efforts in putting that together and to everyone involved with the singing. Um, it, I guess it's now time to introduce uh, His Grace Bishop Sulawan, and it's uh, it, it's a very difficult thing to give him a formal uh, introduction because he really is part of our wider family here at Enos here, and he's given his tireless support to our mission through his prayer for life and guidance. But for those who may not know, His Grace Bishop Sulawan initially from Brisbane moved to Sydney to study at our theological college at the Archdiocese at Redfern. He then began his priestly ministry in Brisbane before moving to Adelaide where he was a parish priest at the Monastery of St. Nectarius in Croydon. It was here where we came to know him and his congregation through our missionary trips to the Monastery of St. Nectarius. I'm sure I am speaking for all those who were ever present at those trips, that his warmth and the warmth, care and love of his, of his congregation provided to us was something that we hold so very dear to our hearts, and we thank him for that. Recently in 2020, his grace his grace, Bishop Silouan, was ordained as a bishop and appointed to the as Bishop of Adelaide. Your grace, so I recall a few weeks back uh, on one of these Zoom talks, you said, in a way, this lockdown was a blessing as it gave Adelaide the opportunity to hear and reconnect with Sydney and gain spiritually from these talks and seminars that we had on offer. I guess likewise, your grace, if you would allow, we can quote you back to you and say, today it is our blessing to hear from you and yes in a way these restrictions are a blessing as it is now gives us another opportunity to hear from you and the people of Adelaide. We are delighted to have you join us today and we look forward to hearing you speak on the topic the inner spiritual life according to the life and teachings of Saint Nectarios. Your grace welcome and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. Oh, thank you very much uh, 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 I, I must formally, of course, greet the, the Yerondes, uh, the Reverend Fathers, uh, Dr. John Sarumatis, Professor Anthony, and uh, all our, my dear friends and, and brothers and sisters in Christ who are here, and of course the, the people of Adelaide who uh, may appear like a renter crowd for this evening, but are, are truly close to my heart, and, and I thank the Lord that he has sent them into my life to elevate me and to support me in my yeah, humble but unworthy ministry. Today, with God's help, we will sp speak about St. Nectarius. In particular, the, the title of today's talk is In a Spiritual Life According to the Teachings of St. Nectarius. And I'm going to try to do this in the following ways. Uh, when talking about anything, with respect to Ayonectalia, we do need to go through his life. So I'll commence with a brief summary about his life and then talk about spiritual life in such a way as it being about God revealing himself to us, as opposed to not, uh, what, not what we may be tempted to think because of our own imaginations or, or inclinations to, to try to, uh, I guess, fulfill our, our fantasies and that should get us to around halfway then the second half or just over the second half 
Saint Nectarius is very big on self-knowledge and I've spoken about this topic before and without trying to repeat what has been said previously in other presentations, I think you cannot avoid but to speak about this virtue that Saint Nectarius speaks about in such a real and significant way. That would lead us to the next point where uh, to know yourself leads to humility and humility brings about hope, which will uh, highlight that hope is the key to repentance that brings about virtue and worship. And then of course, there'll be a small conclusion. And if time permits, I think it's very important to uh, highlight in honor of the saint that we are speaking about, a statement that was read by, that was penned by Patriarch Petros VII in 1988, when the Patriarchate of Alexandria formally apologized for the atrocities that were committed against St. Nectarios. Um, these atrocities generally were not just limited to the Patriarchate of Alexandria, but even as we will see, spread to Athens and Greece generally. So uh, let me begin by talking about his life. Uh, the, this modern saint, who is a venerable ver mountain of virtue, was born Anastasios Kefalos on October the 4th, 1846 in Silibria, Greece. Because his parents were poor, the young saint went to Constantinople at the age of 14 in order to earn a living. Although he was not given proper wages, he had great faith in God and a burning desire to share the truth of Christ with others. Accordingly, he collected holy sayings and quotations, copying them on customers' packages so that they may be inspired. At the age of 30, Anastasius was tonsured a monk, receiving the monastic name of Lazarus. A year later, he was ordained deacon and renamed Nectarios. He was sent to Athens to study theology. There he gave himself over day and night to the reading of Holy Scripture and the sacred writings of the Holy Fathers of the Church. After receiving his degree in theology in 1885, he was ordained a priest in Alexandria and then in 1889, was made vicar bishop of Pentapolis in, in Cairo. So popular was he among the clergy and laity that those jealous of him, thinking he might be raised to the patriarchal throne, accused him of insubordination and immorality. Believing this slander, the patriarch Sothronios of Alexandria removed him from authority in 1890. The saint made no attempt to justify himself. Patiently enduring the hostility against him, Saint Nectarios left for Athens, where he waited guidance from the Lord. Indeed, because of his suspension from the Patriarchate of Alexandria, the Church of Greece was reluctant to give him a position. Many sadly believed the rumors against about him delighting in gossip and scandal. In Athens, St. Nectarius found himself alone, ignored, despised, and lacking his daily bread. He would give 
he would keep nothing for himself and give away whatever little he had to the poor. In 1894, he was invited by supporters to serve as dean of the Rizarios Ecclesiastical School for the training of priests. Under his direction, the seminary functioned peacefully and fruitfully. On one occasion, the saint said to one of the students who later became a close friend and his biographer, quote, when a man comes to understand his destiny and that he is a child of the heavenly father, that is of the supreme good, he looks with contempt at the goods of this world. It is true that the virtuous man endures temptations and humiliations in this world, but he rejoices deep within his heart because he has his conscience at peace. The world hates and despises virtuous men, yet it envies them. For as the end, our ancestors used to say, even the enemy admires virtue. The school's spiritual and intellectual standing rose rapidly under the direction of St. Nectarios. The students found in him a teacher with a deep knowledge of scripture, of the Holy Fathers, and even of secular learning, and a principal who exercised his authority with great kindness and consideration. His administrative teaching and responsibilities did not prevent him as a monk from living a life of ascesis and prayer, nor from fulfilling the high calling of preaching and serving regularly the holy sacraments at the school, but also in the uh, region of Athens generally. By now, his reputation had began to change. As one by one, people discovered the true character of the saint. Although he continued to live quietly, desiring nothing other than his seminary responsibilities, his supporters urged him to go back to Egypt, especially when Patriarch Sophronios of Alexandria had died. They, and many others, supported his candidacy for the patriarchal throne to such an extent that the Greek newspaper at the time called Regeneration, or in Greek, Anablasis, declared the following thing about him, quote, that he is fervent, a very productive writer, a tireless worker of the spirit, having as his food and pleasure the service of the word of God and truth. He is free of avarice to the extreme, a fiery lover of goodness, serene but strong, meek yet firm, pure in life, end quote. The saint went to Alexandria, but returned almost immediately to Athens, because he felt that rather than causing the even slightest of disturbances, and he certainly did not want to embroil himself in church politics, as others wish to do. As he himself observed, quote, listening to the entreaties of our, fellow, uh, of our fellow countrymen, I went to Egypt, not to cause uneasiness and factions, but to bring peace and love, end quote. 
after being approached by pious women wishing to live the monastic life, Saint Nectarius went to the island of Egina. There, in 1904, he established a convent dedicated to the Holy Trinity. It was here, at his convent, that the saint showed many others the way to salvation, like a lamp on a stand, as we hear in the Gospel of Matthew. His biographer relates that after settling at the, convent, at the convent, he lived an altogether spiritual life, being always in a state of divine contemplation. He never neglected mental prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon you. For this reason, an exceptional sweetness radiated from his serene countenance, showing a holiness of sanctification in the Holy Spirit. Correspondence with his spiritual children, and especially with the sisterhood under his spiritual guidance, took much of the saint's time. In his letters are reflected the mercy, humility, and high level of spiritual attainment, which were born from the saint's true love of God and experience in the unseen warfare. Throughout his life, Saint Nectarius continued to study holy things, publishing literally dozens and dozens of books on such diverse subjects, such as the seven councils of the church, the ecumenical councils, on Christian ethics, on repentance and confession, on holy communion, on sacred tradition and many other topics. He also authored various historical studies, including a book about Blessed Augustine and an examination of the schism of the Western Church from the Orthodox Church. He had many illnesses, but his last illness from prostatitis, a disease of the prostate, was extremely painful. He suffered this martyrdom from this particular disease for a year and a half. Then, on September afternoon in 1920, a nun brought him to a hospital. He was dressed so humbly that at first no one believed him to be a bishop. He was given what was referred to as a third-class room in a crowded ward. The saint suffered another five days of intense pain. Finally, on the evening of the, of the 8th of November in 1920, he surrendered his meek and simple soul to the Lord. From almost the moment of death, God worked miracles in order to bring the attention of the world to his servant. A paralytic was instantly healed after contact with part of the saint's clothing. Amazing fragrance accompanied his body and remained in rooms where he had been. Like a precious treasure, the earthly tabernacle of Saint Nectarius was brought back to his convent for burial. Some months later, it was disinterred in order to be placed in a fitting marble tomb. The body, however, was found to be whole and entire and emitting a heavenly fragrance. Three years later, 
but Bharti still remained incorrupt and continued to be so for about 20 years. For reasons we do not know, God caused the body of the saint to be reduced to bones some years later. But most importantly, the relics continue still to emit a holy fragrance and are an almost constant source of miracles and an object of pilgrimage by the faithful. The list of his miracles grows longer every day and his shrine at Egina has become one of the most popular places of pilgrimage in Greece. As a contemporary saint of our times, Saint Nectarius very soon became one of the best known saints of all times, acquiring the title, the saint of our century. Along with the historical data of his life, there exists an immense amount of material concerning his spiritual life as seen through the numerous writings he left us and the testimony of his contemporaries. These writings show how and why the saint pleased the Lord, how he dealt with the problems of his times, the hardships, the degradations, the slander, the physical torture, mainly how he faced up to the ceaseless attacks of the evil one and how this humble hierarch of Egina reached holiness and was graced by the Lord. In his writings, Saint Nectarius awakens our commitment to Christ. And he asks us all, in particular today, the following. Christians, have we understood the great responsibility that we have taken on before, before God through baptism? Have we come to know that we must conduct ourselves as children of God, that we must align our will with the will of God, that we must remain free from sin, that we must love God with all our hearts and always patiently await union with him? Have we thought about the fact that our heart should be so filled with love that it should overflow to our neighbor? Do we have the feeling that we must become holy and perfect, children of God and heirs of the kingdom of heaven? We must struggle for this so that we may not be shown unworthy and rejected. Let none of us lose our boldness, nor neglect our duties, nor be afraid of the difficulties of spiritual struggle. For we have God as a helper who strengthens us in the difficult path of virtue. And upon this, I'll move to our next section, where St. Nectarius goes to great pains to let us know that Christianity, and indeed spiritual life, is about God revealing himself to us, and not to what we attempted to see through our imagination. And it's so important to be able to differentiate what is God revealing himself to us through our conscience, through his providence, through the manifestation of his will in our lives, and what we could think is God's message 
but really is our own imagination and, dare I say, fantasy. In his writings, the saint made it very clear that the basis for all thinking, for philosophizing, if you will, the basis for all thought, in fact, must be divine revelation. Otherwise, he asks, how can one know if one has found a truth? He states, quote, without the truth that has been revealed, man is incapable of knowing himself. For the lack of knowledge of, reve of revealed truth leads man to false theories or erroneous doctrines. Revelation is the lamp that illuminates and guides the mind. In this sense, then, Christianity is a religion of God's revelation. The divine reveals its glory only to those, St. Nicholas will say, only to those who have been perfected through virtue. Christianity teaches perfection through virtue and demands that its followers may become holy and perfect through a life of repentance and humility and hope in the overwhelming and all-abiding presence of the mercy of God in our lives. St. Nectarios, because of the real presence of God in our lives, warns us to not be led astray and not to be influenced by the temptations of our imagination. He says, he who is truly perfect in virtue becomes through divine help outside the flesh and the world and truly enters another spiritual world. Not however through the imagination, but through the radiance of divine grace. Without grace, without revelation, no man, even the most virtuous, can trans transcend the flesh and the world. In fact, St. Nectarios says that so simply and so truly that the person who harbors fantasies does not pray because he states that he that prays lifts his mind and heart towards God, whereas he that turns to fantasies diverts himself. Those who are addicted to the imagination have withdrawn from God's grace and from the realm of divine revelation. They have abandoned the heart in which grace is revealed and have surrendered themselves to the imagination, which is devoid of all grace. Saint Nectarius goes to great length to remind us all how mistaken we become when we seek happiness outside of ourselves. What he refers to in foreign lands and journeys, in other words, in riches and glory, in great possessions and pleasures, in diversions and vain things, which he states have a bitter end. He makes reference to con constructing the tower of happiness outside of ourselves as it is 
as if it was to build a house in a place that is consistently shaken by earthquakes. Happiness, St. Nectarius says, is found within ourselves. And blessed is the person who has understood this. He says that happiness is a pure heart, for such a heart becomes the throne of God. Thus, says Christ of those who have pure hearts, quote, I will visit them and I will walk in them and I will be God to them and they will be my people. And that's from 2 Corinthians. What can be lacking then to those who have God in their hearts? Well, it's simple, nothing at all. For they have the greatest good in their hearts, God himself. It's for this reason that St. Nectarios admonishes, seek God every day, every hour, and every moment if possible, but primarily and only in your heart, not outside of it. And on discovering him, stand with fear and trembling, like the cherubim and seraphim, as your heart becomes God's dwelling place. He states that to discover the Lord, we have to humble ourselves to the earth before him. For the Lord rejects the proud and high-minded, but loves and visits the humble of heart. He says, when we are delivered from the malice of pride and become humble, enthroning humility in our hearts, we possess all, because humility is elevating and bears with it the whole choir of virtues. And when one becomes humble, all the virtues follow. In his treatises, St. Nectarius makes reference to the divine light of God, which can only illumine the pure heart and the pure intellect, because only these are susceptible to receiving light. Whereas impure hearts, those who have chosen to live a life outside of repentance, outside of our communion with God, when this takes place, then we are not susceptible to receiving illumination. In fact, we have an aversion to the light of knowledge, the light of truth. St. Nectarus refers to us as being in darkness when that takes place. And that's because he says that God loves those who have a pure heart. He listens to their prayers grants them the requests that lead to salvation, reveals himself to them, and teaches the mysteries of the divine nature. A person of pure heart believes in the church, admires her spiritual system, her liturgical tradition, her presence, her existence. The person of pure heart discovers God in the sacraments, in the heights of theology, in the light of divine revelations, in the truth of the church's teachings, in the commandments of God, in the achievements of the saints, in every good deed, in every perfect gift, and in general in the whole of creation. Justly then did the Lord say in his 
of those possessing purity of the heart, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is these attitudes in mind that lead to such an important truth and dictum that St. Nectarius calls self-knowledge. When speaking about self-knowledge, St. Nectarius summarizes it so easily in just a short sentence. He says, he who does not know himself does not know God either. And therefore it follows, he who does not know God does not know the truth and the nature of things in general. He does not know himself. Sorry, he who does not know himself continually sins against God and continually moves away from him. He who does not know the nature of things and what they truly are in themselves is in fact powerless to evaluate, to evaluate them according to their worth and to discriminate between the mean and the precious, the worthless and the valuable. Wherefore, such a person wears himself out in the pursuit of vain and trivial things and is unconcerned about and indifferent to the things that are eternal and more precious. St. Nectarius highlights that man ought to will to know himself, to know God, and to understand the nature of things as they are in themselves. And this becomes an image and likeness of God. In its original philosophical sense, learning to know oneself was dependent on and intrinsically linked to and culminated in knowledge of God. Familiar with the writings of the church fathers, it's no wonder Saint Maximus the Confessor will say that the source of all knowledge lies in knowing in supreme ignorance the supremely unknowable. The fathers employ the philosophical technique of negation or apophaticism, not simply as an intellectual exercise, in other words, what God is not, but rather as a mean of emptying ourselves of a prostration of a true metanya before the living personal God who is radically unobjectifiable and ungraspable precisely because God is personal and life-affirming. The unknowable God can be known only in communion, that is, in participation. It is a truth of our faith that one is never in possession of divine knowledge that has never been the orthodox phronimo. Rather, as the Apostle Paul says, one is in fact possessed by divine knowledge. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 9, we, can, we come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. The purpose of all theological knowledge 
is to move beyond the state of learning as understanding my thing to a level of learning as undergoing my thing. For the Christian, it follows that he or she who does not know himself or herself does not know God either. And he or she who does not know God does not know the truth and the nature of things. A person who does not know the nature of things and what they truly are in themselves is powerless to evaluate them according to their worth. Therefore, such a, a, a person wearies himself in vain pursuits and trivial things and is indeed indifferent to the things that are eternal and most precious. And whoever is indifferent is indeed unconcerned. Saint Basil writes to us to kind of examine who we truly are, to ask ourselves, dare I say, to test ourselves and to accept the results and respond accordingly. He says, examine what sort of being you are. Know your nature, that your body is mortal, but your soul is immortal, and that our life is twofold in kind. One kind is proper to the flesh, quickly passing by, while the other is akin to the soul, not admitting of circumscription. Therefore, be attentive to yourself, neither remaining in mortal things as if they were eternal, nor despising eternal things as if they were passing. Look down on the flesh, for it is passing away. Take care of the soul, for it is something immortal. Ultimately, to know yourself can only lead to humility. And this leads us to our next section. Knowing yourself does lead to humility and does indeed bring about hope. And hope for all of us is the key to repentance that brings about virtue and worship, communion with God. To start off with, it's important to say that to know oneself is not a reflection of one's attributes. Since to acknowledge our attributes, our so-called virtues or pluses, is to purposely distort the light of Christ from entering into our lives. This in turn eliminates any hope that we have since there is no humility within our lives, which is the foundation of all hope in our lives. St. John Chrysostom extols self-knowledge as the pathway to humility and all other virtues. He says, quote, he that is fond of outward glory and highly esteems the things present is not permitted to understand himself. So that so he that overlooks these things will easily know himself, and having come to knowledge of himself, 
he will proceed in order to all the other parts of virtues, end quote. Saint Gregory the theologian gives us all a task. He enjoins self-knowledge as the key which opens the gates of repentance. As if speaking to all of our souls, he says words that we need to hear, like the following. You have a job to do, soul, and a great one. If you like, examine yourself, what it is you are and how you act, and where you come from and where you are going to end, and whether to live is the very life you are living or something else besides. You have a job to do, soul. By these things, cleanse yourself, end quote. It is true that the person who knows themselves is never puffed up, never filled with pride. But first of all, they know their shortcomings and faults, always comparing themselves with the ideal prototype Christ, in the likeness of which they ought to develop themselves, inasmuch as they see how much they fall short of it. Saint Nicodemus, the Hagiorite, states that, quote, the humble knowledge of our own self should be honoured as more important than all sciences together. In fact, to be aware of our own personal sin could truly be the answer to all of the world's problems. And let's put it into context, even to this pandemic, and not only uh, the COVID-19, but every spiritual pandemic, how each is a reflection of the other. The saints were always aware of the personal sin and even blamed their own sins for atrocities, even heresies. Saint Basil was aware of his own sin, but also aware of the sins of his fellow hierarchs and clergymen. And quite openly, he would say, quote, we must impute to ourselves and to our sins the blame that the domination of the heretics has become so widespread. So St. Basil attributes a break in the communion of the church, the presence of heresy to personal sin. It is true that the saint that we are blessed to be speaking about today, Saint Nectarius, he says that we all have, each and every one of us, within each and every one of us, he says that there are deeply rooted weaknesses, passions and defects. For this reason, he acknowledges that the path leading to perfection is long. But certainly he does encourage us on our journey. He says, quote, do not despair if you keep falling into your own old sins. Many of them are strong because they have received the force of habit. 
only with the passage of time, and with fervor will they be conquered. Don't let anything deprive you of hope, end quote. People who hope in God are truly blessed. St. Nectarius tells us that God is always our help to them, and they have no fear of anything that other people might do to them. They hope in God and do what is right. They have placed all their hope in him, and they confess him with all their heart. Those who hope in the Lord walk calmly through the struggle of life and pass along its way untroubled by worldly cares. The serenity that they seek is more from secular life than from human company. With respect to the formidable presence of worldly cares, St. Basil maintains that we are not called to abandon our responsibilities to our families, to our jobs, to society. He speaks about an escape. And this is the escape that we must all embark on. He says there is but one escape from all this, separation from the world altogether. But withdrawal from the world does not mean bodily removal from it necessarily. But the severance of the soul from symphony with the body, and it also means the readiness to receive into one's heart the impressions engendered there by divine instruction, end quote. Those on the journey of separation from the world work without ceasing to do good. They work whatever is pleasing and perfect, and their works are blessed by God. They sow with a blessing and receive the fruit of their labors abundantly. They have boldness before the Lord and are not thrown off by the temptations that surround them. In the trials of life, they do not give up, but hope, because where things appear to be impossible, God indicates a way out. Through faith, they also await the hope of righteousness. Our hope, because it is founded upon humility, the chief attribute of God, especially in the sense of God's love for us, in that he became man for our salvation, can only bring about our love for God, in particular as we reflect on his presence in our lives. Herein lies the gift of eternal life, where we are forever growing in the ladder of virtues, leading to Christ-likeness. In order to arrive at Christ-likeness, to commune with God, it is our self-knowledge that is our foremost duty. And this is because self-knowledge awakens us, heals us of our spiritual lethargy. Segnetario says that self-knowledge rouses the soul to study itself and its longings, to learn the true character and repulse those that are unholy. Self-knowledge awakens the soul 
rouses it from sleep. Self-knowledge examines every thought, every desire, every memory. Thoughts, desires, and memories are engendered by various causes and often appear masked and with splendid garb in order to deceive the inattentive intellect and enter into the soul and dominate it. Only attention can re reveal their form. One must remember the saving words of the Lord from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 41, be wakeful and pray that you enter not into temptation. A person who knows themselves knows their duties towards themselves, towards God, and towards their neighbour, and that reverence, justice, truth, and knowledge should be for them the touchstone on which they test all their actions that have reference to God, to themselves, and to their nature. St. Nectarius is very practical, uh, admonishing us how to live our day-to-day -day lives. He says, for example, that a Christian must be courteous to all. His words and deeds should breathe with the grace of the Holy Spirit, which abides in his soul, so that in this way he might glorify the name of God. He who regulates all of his speech also regulates all of his actions. He who keeps watch over the words that he says also keeps watch over the deeds he intends to do. On the other hand, the opposite to all this gives birth to hatred. Boriousness causes enmity, affliction, competitiveness, desire, disorder, and indeed wars. Saint Nectarius says, without self-knowledge, a person goes astray in his or her thoughts, is dominated by diverse passions, tyrannized by violent desires, troubled about many and vain things, and leads a disorderly, distracted, a sinful life, erring in all things, wandering on the way, staggering at every step, and he or she stumbles, falls, and is indeed crushed. In this condition, a person drinks every day potions of sorrow and bitterness. And St. Nectaro says, he, in this state, one fills their heart with grief and live an unbearable life. It is true that ours is a time in which too often information is confused with knowledge and technology is taken for wisdom. The so-called information superhighway, along with other electronic media, brings floods of facts and ideas into our life. How easily, though, is the quiet work of self-knowledge joined out by the informational deluge of this age? Retreat, solitude, contemplation, the practice of stillness, to be able to sit and pray, to read the scriptures prayerfully, 
the spiritual writings, the lives of the saints, to take our prayer rope and to use it. Did these provide the context in which a person may drink deeply from the pool of self-knowledge, leading to repentance, virtue, and worship? As Orthodox Christians, we must go against the currents of our day and follow the fathers, to follow St. Nectarius in cultivating a continual observance of knowing yourself. To know oneself is a fundamental skill we need in the spiritual life to become like God and to know him. Of course, let us make no mistake. The work of trying to know yourself is not easy. So the question is, what makes it so difficult? And how does self-knowledge relate to our spiritual life as Christians and ultimately to our salvation? Why is this work difficult? This, world is difficult, this work is difficult because seemingly to know yourself is to take us out of our comfort zone. This work is difficult because it requires me to be brutally honest with myself, to look deeply into my heart and mind and with the guidance of my spiritual father, to discern my thoughts, my words and my behavior. But when I do so, I may not like what I find. I may come to realize how limited my love is, how self-serving my beliefs and opinions are, how short my temper is, how skewed my sense of compassion is, how much I'm motivated by pride or by fear or by glory or by ambition, how much I'm controlled by guilt or envy and how much I haven't forgiven. How insatiable my desire for sin and passion may be. Yet, by devoting myself to this painful work of knowing myself, I am rewarded with a key to paradise. And that key is humility. Through the grace of God, I become more and more aware of my failings. And this leads me to remorse and repentance. By remembering and trusting in the unconditional love of Christ and his compassion, I can keep myself from being trapped in feelings of guilt, despair, and self-loathing. Self Instead, my humbled and repented condition attracts the grace of God, which, through the sacrament of repentance and holy communion, strengthens me to struggle against my passions, to correct them, to heal them, and to grow in holiness. Saint Nectarius makes it very clear that the more we know ourselves, the more we will understand the depth of God's love, the more we will feel the pain of the cross, and the more we will rejoice in the victory of the resurrection.
let me conclude, but not by way of summary, but to highlight the saint that, that we are speaking about today and how he arrived at the position of sainthood. It is indeed true that he attained the same enviable level of sainthood as the great pillars and luminaries and saints of our church. However, he did not ascend upon pillars. He did not withdraw to the desert, nor did he contend with cruel, with cruel persecutions and tragic tortures like those great combatants of our holy faith, the martyrs. But we can say that his whole life was nothing else than a continuous doxology to God, a tireless effort to benefit a suffering society, to benefit them morally and through his prayer life, through his ministry. He lived in the world but was not as the Saviour says, of the world. He trod on earth, yet he conducted himself like a citizen of heaven. He had the form of a man, but lived like an angel. He was a peace-making holiness, inspired by evangelical virtue and meditation on the eternal kingdom of God. In other words, the presence of God in his life, in his heart, which he received through his humility, through his hope, through his rep repentance and his life of holiness. It's only befitting that I end the words that we are sharing together with words that aren't my own. And because we are speaking about St. Nectarius, it's good to hear what someone else had to say. And in particular, his Beatitude Petros, Patriarch Petros VII, the former Patriarch of Alexandria and all Africa. And he, this was, uh, in connection to the Church of Alexandria, asking for forgiveness from the saint. And this is what his Beatitude, Patriarch Petros of Blessed Memory, had to say in 1988 to all of the faithful of the Patriarchate of Alexandria. Beloved and faithful children of the Church, a whole grace of the church exists in the life of St. Nectarios, in the burning flame which is St. Nectarios. And he passes this to us in the essence of the mystery of the church. He is truly formed by great experiences. He is able to transfuse us with holiness and grace because he himself was tested and saved. Saint Nectarius lived in our patriarchate and became the humble servant of the world, despite the difficulties caused by malicious intent 
the atmosphere of contempt and deceit, defeat, enmity and injustice. He achieved absolute humility. In virtuous silence, he enjoyed the turmoil of his flaming soul. Like Noah in his ark, he relieved the experience of humanity, mixing the waters of deluge, the water of, the water of baptism, and the tears of his eyes. He overcame every trial and temptation through continuous prayer. He became the vessel of God's grace. He's the poor, the unseen, the meek, the kind, the wonder worker, the protector of God's divine love for mankind. In the life of St. Nectarius, the world, mankind, every one of us finds his measure, the scale by which to compare the truth. We realize the ugliness of our spiritual self-centeredness. We see perfection in the fear that we might wound God's love. We search for the only, the essential evangelical reality that we must renounce ourselves, take up our cross in our daily lives. And the life of Sigmund also reveals something completely different. The power of man mobilized by the presence of God, freedom of choice, and the deep desire to be a child of God. The year the dedication of the year 1999 to the memory of St. Nectarios is essentially an invitation to repent, to separate ourselves from the fallen world of destruction and death, and to join with the new risen world in Christ. This is an opportunity for us all to find God and the man of paradise, to increase our awareness and goodness. This is the heritage and the precious gift of a holy man who is one of us, St. Nectarios. This is how he overcame destruction, death, and time. This is why he exists today. And there is uh, a summary of the wonderful words that, that Patriarch Petros of Blessed Memory wrote, only some of what he had to say. But I believe that these words are applicable today. And that is uh, to wake up, to resurrect, and to realize the presence of Christ in our midst. I thank you all for listening and being present. It was indeed an honor and a privilege to learn and share words together with you. And I certainly want to thank the wonderful ministry of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society, Enosis in Sydney and for the wonderful work that they do and the amazing and invaluable help that they offered me in my little and incomplete uh, ministry here in Adelaide. Although separate geographically, uh, the uh, inspiration and uh, aspiration to be with you uh, bridges every encumbrance to that desire to be one in Christ. Thank you all. Thank you very, very much, Your Grace, for uh, your very enriching and inspiring words. And I think the honour and the privilege uh, was all ours. Um, and thank you for your talk. Uh, you covered a lot of uh, topics and it gave us a very deep analysis of the teachings and the thoughts of St. Nectarios, going through purity of heart, humility, repentance, hope, and very importantly, self-knowledge, something that 
I guess is pertinent today to us with, uh, you know, with the lockdown, having a lot of opportunities to maybe discover self-knowledge, but importantly to the, the, the irony in self-knowledge to ask for help from our spiritual father and from the church in general to discover this. And thank you for covering these topics and for your very deep and insightful analysis of the teachings of St. Nectarios. Um, before we move to questions, I'd like to ask, uh, if possible, Yerundov Sevios, who is, as we all know, the abbot of Bandanasan Monastery, to share some thoughts with us. Uh, th thank you, your, your Grace, for this evening's talk. And uh, uh, thank God that we have in our times uh, so many saints that the uh, that have uh, lived uh, in our era, like Saint Nectarius, and from Saint Nectarius up until our very days, uh, saints who have embodied and lived the teachings of our of our Lord Jesus Christ in their daily lives, and that we have them as role models. Um, and now they're, you know, like St. Nicholas, interceding for us. Uh, we touched on a very difficult topic tonight, uh, self-knowledge and the general life of St. Nicholas. Um, and in today's society, uh, there is so many distractions and multifaceted temptations uh, that make it very difficult for the modern person to be able to have self-knowledge, uh, deep self-knowledge, and to discover themselves in the way that St. Dose challenges us. Um, and we, all of us need help and guidance to do this. Of course, uh, requires humility, requires the grace of God by ourselves to obtain self-knowledge is impossible. Um, we need help from above and we need help from our spiritual father to guide us and because uh, it requires not just vigilance and uh, sacramental life and uh, the right conditions to be able to uh, see oneself and the grace of God as we said, but uh, discernment and uh, holy wisdom and uh, definitely the help of others. Our spiritual father, uh, if we're young, our parents, uh, the hierarchs and priests of the church, uh, those in our networks, our mother eyes, even a wise lady, because the most dangerous thing is, is to trust ourselves. Ourselves, our fallen self, continues to, to lie to us. And that's why we need each day to have a mirror to be able to see ourselves. And the basic uh, practical mirror that we need is the reading of the scriptures, a daily prayer life, and the sacramental life. Uh, these things operate as, as mirrors. 
on a very practical level. And then to be, and of course, as you as saying, a pure life. It's multifaceted, the entire spiritual life revolves around uh, getting to, to um, know ourselves and getting to know God. I can't say much more than, uh, than that at the moment, apart from just to uh, thank you and to ask you to intercede for all of us to deal with this difficult uh, topic. Uh, in monastic life, uh, the fathers uh, say it's so difficult for one to know oneself that uh, the guidance in the monasteries is that never listen to our thoughts. Uh, reveal all thoughts to the year under. Uh, ne never trust our preferences. Uh, uh, avoid them uh, because our fallen self is very cunning. Uh, the devil uses our fallen self to sneak in everywhere, to make justifies compromises. Look here a little bit. So it's this a little bit traps everywhere in modern society. And that's why our personal spiritual cultivation and personal spiritual relationship with God, prayer, reading, the things we mentioned before, are very important, very important. Going to Bible studies, keep your energy regularly, seeking guidance continuously. And... Um, we said, we said, lawyers say, whoever tries to represent themselves in court, a solicitor tries to represent himself, is a fool. And in spiritual life, it's the same. Uh, seek to find sense. We can direct us by ourselves without the grace of God is dangerous. So we can't trust ourselves. Um, anyway, thank you very much for this evening's talk. Difficult to apply to myself, very uh, challenging others. Please pray that we all can respond uh, to this, uh, starting at the, at the basic level of the reading, spiritual books, prayer life, scriptures each day. They are the mirrors that help us to, to discover ourselves, so to some. And, and as you correctly said, the guidance of the spiritual life. Thank you very, very much, Grace. Thank you very much, Grace, and thank you to everyone who asked the question. Um, I guess uh, it'd be remiss of us not to um, ask Yerunda Stefanos, the former abbot of Bandhanasa Monastery, to share some thoughts on such an important topic. Um, given he has so much experience, it'd be very nice to hear from him as well. So Yerunda Stefano, if you're willing and able uh, to share some thoughts with us, please. Thank you. Very much. I was just to get up and ask permission to speak. 
and uh, by his grace and also Yamaka and the others that had a chance to speak, I, in my translating, I have a feeling which perhaps we should consider in a relationship with God. Yes, we can read and we can pray and spend time fasting and uh, all these things. The important thing that I have discovered lately is to discover God and take him seriously. Only when I speak with him, it is considered an insult in social manners if we do not pay attention to the person that we talk to. With God is something more important. It is important to appreciate who I am and who is he. Who is he, I cannot understand. I can only say that perhaps I can handle it before him. And appreciate that, that despite of my nothingness, he looks down on me with love and care and reveals to me whatever he reveals to me through the means that we all know. But I have to understand that I'm nothing. And to take seriously what I say to him, such as thank you, or please give me this or that. In other words, to help myself to realize that God is in my room, is in my life. God is a person of God. He wants to be in my heart. God is real. And he wants to have a real relationship with me. Too many words and too many uh, recipes to how to approach God is good, but they're tiring sometimes. It's time to consider are we honest with God? Do I speak with God? As I listen to you and you, God is to us. This is the only way to appreciate and benefit from what all the things that have been mentioned provide to us. This is what this and saying was able to wait for 70 years. Repentance is a very difficult issue. Repentance is the revolution in a man's life. And it is this spirit that we need to apply or to develop 
in a relationship with God. Please let us listen to God through our prayers. Let us examine their life. Simple things and myself that God knows who I am. And yet he still wants to say good morning to me, good evening, and have a chat with me and offers me to offer me a chocolate if you like. Yes, he offers this. Θέλει να έχει σχέσει μαζί μα ο Θεό. Θα του λέμε καλημέρα με την καρδιά μα. Όπω λέμε συζητώ μα, στον συνάδελφό μα, στον αδελφό μα, στον γείτονά μα και ούτω καθεξή. Real relationship. Και όταν λέμε το πατέρι μόνο. Πόσε φορέ το λέμε και ο νους μας είναι εκεί. Μόνο το Πάτερ ημών. Τι λέω όταν λέω Πάτερ ημών. Ναι, να μην αργήσουμε και πολύ. Νομίζω αυτά είναι αρκετά για να μας δημιουργήσει μια ανησυχία. Ότι πρέπει να, να, να ανανεώσουμε, μάλλον να εξετάσουμε τα απλά πράγματα που κάνουμε για τον Θεό. Πού είναι η καρδιά μας, πού είναι οι σκέψεις μας όταν τα κάνουμε. Γιατί όταν μιλάμε και δεν σε αντίδω προσοχή, δεν κάνουμε τίποτε, δεν καταλαβαίνουμε τίποτε. Α, είπε κάτι βαβαίο, Ακουσό μεθά σου και πάλι οι Πανιαθηναίοι στον Πάβο. Καλά τα λες, έλα και άκουσα το πούμε, γιατί είναι ωραία διαφορετικά. Έχει ο προϊόν και τα Ο Θεός ήρθε κάτω για να ανοίξει μαζί μας και αυτή τη στιγμή ήρθε μαζί μας με αυτή την επικοινωνία για να ανοιώσουμε το διάλογο μαζί του. Με ποιότητα διαλόγου, λίγα και καλά, να μην το πάτε λίγο, να κάνουμε το σταυρό μα σωστά. Το βασιλιά φουράνει και το κύριο Ισουχριστέ σώμα, αλλά όχι λόγια και πολλά. Αυτό είναι τα πολλά λόγια. Ποιότητα θέλει ο Θεό. Και καλή διάθεση. Και ευχαριστούμε πολύ τον Θεοφιδέστατο. Καλήκα που τον είδαμε και έστω και από το πρόγραμμα αυτό το εκλογημένο. Ε, είναι στην καρδιά μας πάντοτε και στις προσευχές μας. Τον παρακολουθούμε και εκείνος προσεύχεται για όλους μας και το έργο που γίνεται της Εκκλησίας και Εχάρηκα που είδα τι φωτογραφίε για το μετασκήνωση. Συγχαρητήρια, αν δεν τα είδα και σε ανώτερα. Μόνο λίγη προσοχή και ποιότητα.
Ευχαριστώ πολύ.